Morning. Good to see you all again. I used to be your pastor, in case you forget. And uh, it's good to have Deacon Byron back and to be praying with him again, and but back from his little spell that he had several weeks ago. Good to be with him and with uh, Valerie and Albert. Uh, I can't pick on him much anymore. He's gotten pretty big, and <laughs> I got to be careful. Veronica is her first time serving, so it's good to be back with everybody. This gospel of the woman caught in adultery would probably cause most of us to ask the question, where is the man? They brought her to Jesus, but the man nowhere to be found. And in the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, it specifically says, if they're caught in adultery, both are to be stoned to death. So where's the, where's the man? Well, the man that the scribes and Pharisees were concerned about wasn't the man she had this fling with. It was the man Jesus. They really didn't care about her. They're trying to trip him up. And they think they got the answer. Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. The law says to stone her, so what do you say? And if he says... Go ahead, do it. That goes against his life of compassion, and it also goes against the Roman government who had sole power to put people to death, not Jesus, not the Jews. And if he says, don't stone her, then he'll be accused of breaking the law. So what does he do? He doesn't answer them. He bends down on the ground and he starts writing in the dirt something or doodling. As the woman is there having her head down, so Jesus has got his head down. But John says they continued asking him, and so he finally straightens up, and he says, let the one among you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent back down with the woman, started doodling in the dirt again. We don't know what he was just messing around like we do on a piece of paper, you know, when you're on the phone with somebody and you bored or whatever and you start doodling some people think he's writing the sins of the scribes and Pharisees 
But he straightens up and he says, let the one among you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he bends down again. And John says they began with the older ones first walking away because they begin to realize, ah, I'm not so perfect myself. I may have used this analogy with you a few years ago. I don't remember. I'm going to use it again because it's, it bears repeating. In Jesus' time, it was important to determine the arrival of daybreak when the first offerings were to be made in the temple. A rabbi would ask his students what criterion might be used to determine that the night has ended and day has begun. One student said the night had ended when there was enough light to tell a goat from a sheep. And another said when you can distinguish an apple tree from a fig tree. Well, the rabbi gave the answer. A new day has arrived when you can look at a human face and see a brother or a sister. If you are unable to see a brother or a sister in every human face, you are still in the darkness of night. A new day has arrived when you can look at a human face and see a brother or a sister. If you're unable to see a brother or a sister in every human face, you are still in the darkness of night. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. To these elders they walk away and he's left alone with this poor woman he says where are they and she, he says has no one condemned you she says no one sir he says well I don't either go and from now on do not sin anymore he breathes into her something new new life she has a chance to begin again. St. Benedict, in his rule, would say to his monks once in a while, let us begin again. Let us begin again. Why? Because we screw up. We make mistakes. We sin. And we need to keep beginning again. Well, this woman got a chance to begin again. New life given to her by Christ. Even Isaiah looks forward to that. He says, as the Lord say, remember not the events of the past. See, I'm doing something new. Well, Jesus did something new for her. And he actually did something new for the scribes and the Pharisees. He gave them a chance to look within. Maybe some of them did, maybe some of them didn't. But that's what this Lent and every Lent is about, is asking us to look within. It's easy to look at the sins and the weaknesses, the quirks of other people. Not always so easy to admit our own. So these scribes and Pharisees were asked to go home and take a good look, as we are always asked to go home after this liturgy and take a good look and let Christ do something new in us. 
Breathe into us new life. Let us begin again. He offers it. It's a great gift. It's ours for the taking. Hopefully we can do that. Sometimes when people come to confession, sometimes um, it's... uh, (coughs) I've had the experience of they go on, you know, but they're really telling about somebody else's sins, not their own. And at some point I have to say... uh, This isn't about his sins or her sins. It's about your sins. It's nice you can observe where people are going wrong. Maybe you can help them, but this is about you meeting Christ in honesty and let him breathe new life into you. As you probably know, we have a new bishop as of yesterday. The Vatican announced yesterday that Pope Francis has appointed Father Earl Fernandez, a priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, as the 13th bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Columbus. Father Fernandez will be ordained a bishop of the Catholic Church and installed as Bishop of Columbus on Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. Father Fernandez says, grateful to God, to Almighty God and to the Blessed Virgin Mary for my vocation and recognizing my own unworthiness. I accepted with fear and trepidation, but also with joy, the appointment by Pope Francis to serve as the 13th Bishop of the Diocese of Columbus. I thank His Holiness as well as His Excellency Archbishop Christophe Pierre, the Apostolic Nuncio, for giving me the opportunity to proclaim the joy of the gospel in the Diocese of Columbus, the capital of our beloved state of Ohio. I look forward to meeting the people of God, the priests, deacons, religious, lay faithful of the diocese, and to collaborating with them in announcing the joyful good news and building the kingdom of God. I ask for your prayers, not only for me, but also for our diocese that the Holy Spirit may enkindle in all of us the fire of his divine love. May God grant me the grace to serve his people well and to be an ardent yet gentle shepherd whose heart is formed after the heart of Jesus. He gave a news conference yesterday um, downtown at the diocese, and he had a prepared statement, but after the statement he had some questions given to him, and I was impressed not only with his statement, he said, I want, Pope Francis calls us to be a listening church, a synodal church. And he said, that's what I want to be as your bishop. I want to hear you. I want to listen to you. I want to walk with you. And he said, yeah, I have a doctorate in moral theology, and I've been a priest for 20 years, and I've had different kinds of assignments. But my faith came from my parents. It comes from an immigrant family from India. His father was a physician, his mother a teacher and social worker. He's got two or three brothers who are doctors. And uh, a couple of them, I guess, live in Columbus. But he said, my faith came from my parents. They taught us what it was about. 
And he said, I smile a lot. And people ask me, why do you smile a lot? I get asked the opposite question. Why don't you <laughs> why don't you smile more often? You know, I, I get tired of and nobody's asked me that for a while, but uh lady asked me that in London one day before mass for like the second time. Why don't you smile? I said, I'm smiling on the inside. I said, but if you live with back pain twenty four seven like I do you might not be smiling all the time either on the outside. Oh, I didn't think of that. I said, well, think of that. And don't ever ask me that question again. But anyway, Father Fernandez said, I smile because I love being a priest. I like what I do. He's a pastor of a very large parish, the west side of Cincinnati, the last few years. And um, so anyway, he's young, he's 49, and uh, he asked for our prayers. So as he ends up his pastoral work with his parish uh, this uh, month, next month, uh, we keep him in prayer in our diocese uh, as, as he comes to us to, to lead us and guide us. So keep him and his family and uh, his parish in your prayers.